0: canuck central in the kintech studio kintech footwear and orthotics canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1500 five-star google reviews find your perfect fit at kintech.net canuck central is brought to you by grip auto and tire quality service you can trust and 14 locations to serve you as mentioned it is food bank friday it is ongoing the virtual fundraiser has raised over $75,000, 77634 to be exact, and we can keep getting those dollars in there and helping spread the love during this holiday season. Donate by texting to 30333. A carrot emoji for $5, a banana donates $10, and a heart will donate $25. Standard text message charges do apply. Stan Riccio and Satyar Shah.
1: Yeah, a lot of reaction on our on our Dumbard Text inbox uh, about the Bruce Broodrew interview. Oh, oh let me um, guess
0: that. Now we're too hard on our no, interviews no, and other times Dan. we're not hard enough. Dan it's now okay. Now we're a Don't bunch of homers. No, now no, we're no. villains. No,
1: Apparently no, no. I'm vicious. Dan, it's okay. It's okay. all right. It's all, all, right. Right. all right. honestly, hey, uh I think the overall sentiment in our text inbox was, um, you guys had to ask the question. Good on Bruce for not answering it, and like this one says, Bruce showed more class than management showed when asking uh, questions and giving awkward comments. And you know, Drywaller Joe uh, says, "I like your show, but good for Bruce to shut down, fishing for drama. I get you guys have a job to do. It's too bad Jim takes debate every time, then we have to hear the fallout discussions at nauseum." That's from Drywaller Joe. Others uh, giving sense, sim- similar sentiments. Jeffrey says, after what the president said last month, how do you not ask the question? So I don't think people are really upset with the question being asked. I think, if anything, I think a lot of people are just saying, you know what, good on Bruce for not answering it and saying, you know what, I'm not going to give you guys anything. I'm just going to shut it down, which is not what happened when we had Rutherford on because we talked to Jim. He spoke about the systems. We gave him a chance to maybe back Bruce and, you know, he gave some more criticism. So... I think that's been the biggest reaction I've seen from our listeners so far.
0: Uh, it's uh, continuing to come in. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You can keep those coming. We'll get to more as uh, as the show goes on. Let's bring in our next guest. He joins us every Friday on Canuck Central. It is Yannick Hanson. This analyst is brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Yannick, how you doing?
2: I think just about like everybody else, they're getting ready for Christmas here. Uh, last day of school for the kids, so it's a uh, couple of weeks off now, a little more relaxation, if you will.
0: You get the uh, get the shopping done yet, or what?
2: Uh, some, not 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 all. So. <laughs> <laughs> the wife has done the most of it, so I probably still have to get out and get a little bit. But uh, it does look like it's uh, coming together.
1: Do you have her gift figured out at least? Don't don't you have to say if you bought it yet? But have you do you have it figured out yet?
2: It is figured out. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is not collected yet. <laughs>
0: Classic. We're we're all the same, I guess, in that way. <laughs> but at this point, you're going to the store. You can't. You can't. Don't do the online thing. It's too late for online now, Yannick. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Uh, let's uh, let's get into it. Before we get into the the Canucks, did you see the McDavid goal? No goal last night. Do you think it was offside? How do you how do you look at that play?
2: I did not see it. Uh, obviously, there was some controversy, so it's hard for me to uh, yeah, yeah. that I, I haven't seen it. Um, so it's basically one of up. those
0: plays where you know he's crossing the blue line, and the puck's not on his stick, but it looks like he has possession. Um, but obviously, because it's not on his stick, he's deemed to not have possession of the puck. One yeah, of those I, weird ones.
2: It sounds like it's one of those where they've tried to eliminate all the grey areas, but there are still some grey areas that uh, that exist, and they're trying to clean that up. Um, it's the same thing with possession. Are you in control, mm-hmm. or, or is the puck with you? Um, it, sometimes it's the luck of the draw. Who's hidden in that operation rooms and, and determining uh, should it be a goal, shouldn't it be? Um, but again, we're at the mercy of, uh, of something else there. The uh, game is played at a high pace, and Sometimes uh, those calls goes with you. We still see it with the, the goalie interference and, and stuff like that. Uh, we've had a couple of controversial One where nets have been removed uh, and, and pucks have gone in, and sometimes it's a goal, sometimes it isn't. Um, they're still trying to, to obviously tinker with it. Um, sometimes maybe you go into it a little bit too deep, I think, and then uh, try to... Uh, right down to the last millimeter to see if it's really in or if it's really out or, or, or stuff like that where sometimes it was a little bit more of a judgment call and judgment calls are, are part of the game and um, it used to be a big part where when i played especially in the beginning uh, judgment calls were made all the time on on penalties obviously they wanted to take that out but there are still some areas that exist where it's a little more judgment
1: well, and, you know, as far as this team is concerned, I mean, uh, we talk talking about overturned goals as being a big controversy for this year. I wish that was the case because that would have meant that they're a good hockey team doing good things and we're getting upset about a goal being allowed or disallowed, but that hasn't really been the case with this Canucks team so far. I wanted to get your thoughts on how they played against the Calgary Flames the other night, Yannick, because, you know, the shot totals, it wasn't great, right? But one of the things that was more noticeable is... They did kind of control at 5-on-5 five five the high-danger scoring chance differential. Like, did you see anything that was better in that Calgary game, or was it just them getting a result?
2: It's, it's them getting results, in my opinion. Uh, again, you, you kind of needed that. There's been a lot of turmoil uh, re- regarding bowl uh, the couple of days leading up to. So obviously you wanted to come out and have a good showing uh, to show that the team is focused on Calgary. They're focused on winning the next game. And and you need to come out and have a good result because if, if they come out and they get blown out by a Calgary team who's also struggling a little bit, all of a sudden that those media articles are going to get blown up, oh, no, no. Uh, Bo is creating all this trouble in the dressing room and all these things. So they needed to come out and have a good showing in terms of, of getting the job done. How they got the job done is a little more irrelevant in, in this situation. Uh, again, they got off to a good start, get your goals but again, you, you see goals again, and you see the Calgary team, all of a sudden they, they push, they push, they get their one, they get their two, they get their three, which is what we've seen through the entire season. This team has never had any trouble scoring goals. It's been preventing, and, and it's the same thing we're seeing.
0: Yannick Hansen, our guest. You know, We look at the results lately. They've won 9 of 13, 4 of 5 uh, in these last five games. And and yeah, I do still have a lot of questions about the the process of of how they're they're going about that. Are they just running a streak of luck for you or or is it is it more
2: than that? Are they are they doing better things? It's 4 OT wins and it is one shootout win that doesn't yeah. spell that you're uh, in control in any way possible and it's Phoenix, it's San Jose, it's not exactly the the, the pinnacle of the league here again we'll get to see that now that they'll get winnipeg uh, one two three times in a short order here within a couple of weeks i believe it is you'll see colorado again you're going to see edmonton again um so now you will see the teams that you have to beat because they're right in front of you colorado struggling but they're still a phenomenal team you have to go out and beat them if you want to make the playoffs because that's obviously what they're they're striving for still um, so so now comes uh, you gotta make a push here, or, or are you gonna keep meddling at at five hundred and be that sixteen, seventeen, eighteen team in the in the league and miss by a by a couple, or are you gonna take a, a step in the right direction? Um, but again, it doesn't it doesn't. Breed, uh, what do you say? Confidence when their wins are coming in high-scoring games. They have to do overtime. You need shootout. Like it's it's very taxing. And a lot of times you see Quinn pushing 30 minutes all of a sudden because you got to play him in these uh, games because they're tight. You need to score. You need to win. You, there, there's no time to rest your stars, if you will, because there's no games where you, where you have this buffer of three, four, five goals and you just kind of skate away in the third period and ice time is spread out through all the guys. No, it, it's uh, it's pedal to the metal every single time they play.
1: Well, it is. Now, I did want to ask you about uh, Elias Pettersson a little bit because for all this contract talk that's been out there last year about JT... <clears throat> this year of course about Bowen and and what that ends up where that ends up going and one of the things that friedman reported on and has been discussed recently is how the canucks as soon as the summer rolls around when they get a chance to extend petterson they're going to work on that contract now obviously he's younger and a different level of player but is he the type of player you're looking at contract wise and say i'm not going to have the same issues in terms of where this team's at in its cycle uh, how much we're paying this player does it just simply come down to do, doing anything you can to get that contract done as an extension
2: yeah, he's a little easier because his eight years. If he signs max, it, it won't be an issue. He'll, he'll he should be good at the end of that. I'm not worried about his uh, his age at that point. Uh, the number he will sign at can, can sign at um, will be will be probably a little high here. The first couple of years, um, salary cap will catch up. Should catch up to that, uh, and then come down the stretch um three four five years from from now uh, hopefully that contract is starting to look uh, very reasonable because again the cap has risen and all these things and, and you can filter players in in around. um again granted you don't sign him to another three-year deal or something like that and and then he maximizes it again um so you you'd pr- prefer to sign him through all his prime years uh here, here in the summer
0: you know, there's been so much discussion uh, about Bo specifically, and and you know, you mentioned earlier the, the 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 conversation coming up again, and the whole statement that he had to release, and everything else. He scores again last night. One of the big questions, I think, that has to be answered if you're going to go with a big number and big term for Bo is is this uptick in scoring we've seen from him recently? Is it for real? Is it a long hot streak, or is Bo doing something differently this year than he has been in years past? What do you see with Bo and his goal scoring?
2: I don't think it's sustainable, at least not in a winning environment. Um, again, the team is scoring in bunches, and all of the players are producing uh, career numbers. Is it leading to anywhere? Uh, that That's my worry here um again jt phenomenal numbers last year great deal but but it didn't really lead to anyway both same thing like these guys are are producing in bunches but the results don't come with it it'd be different if they're doing this and they were top one two three in a conference if you will because then you're like okay these guys are they're bearing them down in both ends of the ice but it's a lot of the scoring uh, again it 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 comes because you're you're okay with winning 6-5 games and you're okay with with I'm not cheating cuz i don't want to throw that out but but you're okay with taking chances that you probably shouldn't be and then you will produce more because if you're if you're happy playing 2 on 1s one way 3 on 2 the other ways uh, and giving chances like that yeah you're going to get more opportunities and be good players they're going to score more uh, but but it's not sustainable and you can't win like that um so they keep getting into these track meet games which looks great on the individual stats but but again we keep we look at the standings tonight and and are they're, they're a 500 hockey club yeah they got uh, guys in the top 10 in scoring and top 5 in goals and all these things like they they should be in a much better position based on the goals they 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 score but again when you give up even more it's um again it's it's hard to to really buy into
1: well, it is. And that's the thing that I've noticed and we've noticed about this team and even Bruce talked about it, is that a lot of guys are, are, I'd say, almost chasing numbers a little bit. You see that. And and does that almost make it more difficult when you look at the overall scoring totals for, for a lot of guys on this team that it's like, yeah, these guys are scoring, but how much of that is really sustainable? And if you can't score playing the right way, how much does that really matter, in when it comes to the overall team environment, is that maybe something we've seen with some of these players here in the past? Like, you know, whether it's Besser, and you look at where his game's at, but he's getting paid six point six five million. Because a lot of guys on this team over the years have been getting a lot of points, but you could also say there've been a lot of empty points over the years.
2: Yeah, and that's the problem. Uh, again, you 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 mentioned Besser, and he was scoring those high twenties, thirty goals. You sign him, and and now. It's it's not productive because it it's not sustainable. It can't continue doing it, and that's it's the same thing. I'm thinking with Bo like there there's no chance he's a top three, four, five goal scorer in this league. I I just don't think it it's sustainable. Again, it it is it's tipping. It's it's power play. And it's some of this stuff that can dry up. I I look at his overall game more so, and whether or not does he produce three or four scoring opportunities for his, his line mates during the game. Because if he does that on a nightly basis, then by all means it, it's sustainable because then you keep getting these chances. But but I look at Bull's game and, and it's him. Yeah, he's scoring these goals. He's in the bumper spot. Um, but, but five on five, he, he's not the guy who's setting up his line mates over and over again where, where you can see okay they're they're taking over now and and he's feeding these guys backdoor tap-ins and all the things he, he's sitting on nine helpers 30 games into the season um that that's that that's the troublesome for for me because like in your scoring uh, these amount of goals you, you should be able to you should be able to make some plays as well in my opinion
0: you know, we are seeing a, a lot of goals around the league in general, Yannick, and it's it's become more of a conversation. It's like the most goals in the league since the early 90s, um, and, and people are trying to figure out why this is happening. Um, do you see anything different about the game now and why there's more scoring across the league?
2: There's more skill, um, and there's more skill on all four lines. Um, and that also mean you're you're not watching uh, you're not playing against Manny Maholtra uh, out there who who's not worrying about scoring just making sure you don't score um, and you removed all of these or a lot of these role players um, a lot of these defensive specialists who had one job and that was to go out and make sure you don't get scored on now everybody wants to score and it doesn't matter if it's third uh, or fourth line there is skill on these lines. And and skill will take some chances, uh, and they will get opportunities. And when they get opportunities, there's a bigger chance that these guys will score because these these guys have been scorers everywhere they've gone, Um, and it's no different now. Uh, So you've probably seen a result uh, of the way the league has uh, evolved over the last five years or so, that it's not it's not the the big and heavy physical fourth line anymore it's not the shutdown third line you're seeing anymore um, and therefore the, the the scoring has gone up
1: well it has gone up but one of the things that i'm kind of that i'm personally leaning towards more is the whole notion of having a top 9 is a bit overrated because if you don't have guys in your top 9 that can play a two-way role that can you, you know play on the pk and excel then how do you compete once you get into the postseason? Because last few years, as much as the game is changing, Yannick, in the postseason, it's still different. It's still very hard to win. you got to have guys that know how to defend and how to play. So for all this talk about having a top nine as a scoring top nine, aren't the teams that are having success still able to identify players who can fulfill certain roles for them?
2: Uh, yes and no. If you look at Colorado last year, like they had a uh, Andrei Bukowski and Nituskin running around in their bottom six, uh, filling in in roles in the top six here and there. Those guys are, are excelling right now. Um, it is you do need defense. Uh, you need a team defense. You need obviously your six defensemen. Um, but but that third line shutdown matchup. I, I don't see it anymore. Uh it's not like we're we're going into this uh, th- this series and I know okay uh Jonathan Taves he he's gonna be matched up with uh, whoever it is on the other team and he's gonna shut him down and that's his job and then Paddy Campbell will take care of things. Are you gonna see Anse Kobota on, on Hank every single shift? Uh for for seven games here, it's not like that anymore. Uh, right now, you you're a little bit more like let's get our guys out and then hopefully they can they can outperform the other side. Um, you, you you'll see uh, PD go head to head with with Nathan McKinnon. Something you wouldn't have seen six years ago. No, you would have you would have seen Kessler or, or Malhotra play against that type of player, and then you would have tried to get Hank away from uh, the matchup role on the other side uh, and. Like I said, the game has evolved. Those players aren't there as many anymore. Um, A lot of the times, you're relying on on your own talent. Um, And again, hopefully, you can can get away with it like that. Um, That being said, I definitely agree you need defense. Um, But a lot of that defense now comes from obviously being very good on on your six defensemen. And then again, all of those four lines being responsible. Um, but but not in the sense that you have a, a designated uh, shutdown role anymore. Do, do you feel
0: maybe um, analytics have, have made a difference in this? And, and by that, I mean, you know, what, when we think about analytics, maybe you think about Corsi and stuff like that, but we're also seeing that uh, the bigger data companies will – have, you know, hey, if you make one cross-ice pass, the goalie's expected save percentage is this or but if we make two, it goes down to below 80%. So uh, do coaches go this far in saying we've got to make not one but two cross-ice passes? Do you think the coaching has changed into how much extra offense there is to make it harder on defenses?
2: I don't know. We always said one is okay, we don't want two. So I guess that's the same thing. We don't yeah. have the numbers <laughs> behind it uh uh, so so you're always trying to limit that. You you knew that uh, you always wanted to, to keep it on one side of the ice. Um, now you just have numbers to back it up, if you will. And the Corsi, it has something to do with absolutely. Because if you go back to 2011 and you look at uh, Manny, Raffi's and myself's uh, Corsi a lot of nights, it probably wasn't very good because we had every single uh, defensive zone shift always against top lines. And and I'm thinking back that like that that wouldn't have been pretty on a lot of nights. No, then (laughs) the Twins would have been phenomenal. Um, But again, all of a sudden, these things come in, and then you start looking at. And I saw this in the dressing room too, and the teams I played with, guys knew this. And now all of a sudden, you over the blue line, you send a a puck on the net because it's a plus one. So this Mm. these numbers doesn't differentiate between a breakaway or a backdoor one timer or a floater from from the blue line. It's the same plus. Um, and the fourth line, third line guy, they knew this, so did we just let's throw some pucks on the net and that coursey becomes good. Instead <laughs> of maybe putting it in the corner and let's run a defenseman through the mm-hmm. end boards because that's probably going to benefit us more. But at the end of the night, it doesn't look as good on, on that coursey sheet that everybody is looking at right now.
1: Well, and I think that also is always back to the whole like bend but don't break defense at times. And, and that's where I, I have trouble with some of these shot totals and numbers, especially when you have guys playing tough roles. Like, for instance, Tyler Myers on this team, we all know Tyler Myers has his problems. But he plays 22 minutes a game. He plays the toughest minutes of any player on this team. And he plays it every single game. And obviously, when you do that, you're going to get crushed. I mean, you're going to get allow more shots against you than four. That's just going to be something that happens, generally speaking, unless you're Kael McCarr or some somebody of that level. But what's funny about a guy like Myers, Yannick, is his his analytics are terrible. And on the PK, he's really struggled. But on five-on-five on five at even strength, he's a plus, plus player this season. So how, how do we differentiate between a player being bad analytically but also being a player who can help you still succeed despite it not looking good at all times?
2: So what we used to have in a dressing room is those chances are, are broken down. So mm-hmm. there's the numbers you guys get and then there's the numbers we get and and they would be more in tune with the actual facts of the game. So is it your fault that that chance happened? Is it your mistake? Um, and again, that the same goes on the offensive side. So I could have had five floaters from the blue line, but I would be a big fat zero on, on my scoring chances because none of them were legitimate. And the coaches will break these ones down, and, and you hear the grade-A chances and stuff like that, and then they will see, okay, who is at fault here? Was it Tyler not tying up a stick? Was it Tyler Myers pinching in the wrong position or or these things? And then he will get his dashes and pluses on on these chance sheets in in the room. And those are the ones where you will will actually see whether or not he's performing or or underperforming. Because like you said, if you keep being put out in in a tough position against top guys, well, as long as you don't get scored on, you you think you're all right because – when they come off the ice, your good guys should come on, and then they should score. Um, but like I said, you, you need to look at the numbers a little bit different in order to, to see if, if the stats are, are cheating you a little bit.
0: Yannick, uh, you, you sold yourself short. 2010-11, you were above water, courtsy percentage just over 50, even though you only started 30% of your shifts in the offensive zone.
2: There you go. We had a phenomenal team. A lot of face-offs, one in their own and two. <laughs>
0: Brilliant, Yannick. Uh, I guess we won't talk to you before uh, before the holidays. So, all the best to you and your family, and uh, make sure to get that Christmas shopping done.
2: I'll do my best and enjoy <laughs> you guys.
0: Uh, there he is, Yannick Hansen. Uh, always a beauty joining us here on Canuck Central.
2: Yeah,
1: Merry Christmas to Yannick and his family, man. Uh, always a blast having him on. I can't believe we're, we're yeah next week. I guess. I guess.
0: Well, we won't be on next Friday. It's, uh, next Friday is Christmas Eve. Is it? <laughs> yes. No, it's not. Oh, next Friday is the 23rd. That's okay. what I thought. I'm like, wait, Sorry. am I
1: confused Sorry. for a second? I was like, yeah, is it? No, I thought Christmas Eve was, was Saturday.
0: Man. Wow. Well,
1: Confusing me now.
0: Going to have to just reset. <laughs> Somebody tell Yannick he's still gotta come on next Friday.
1: I was <laughs> like, What happened here? I was <laughs> like, what's going on?
0: <laughs> I'm counting my days off before they're even here. Unbelievable.
1: Look at you. I was I was confused, I'm like Yannick's not on next week? Is he taking the is he taking
0: uh the week off or something? Early Christmas for him? Um uh... Just going to like strike that from the record. (laughs) Dan wants to manifest an early Christmas for himself. Yes. (laughs) He's
1: manifesting having Friday off.
0: (laughs) You got me. Caught red handed. Unbelievable. Guess I won't be watching Die Hard next Friday. Wow. Okay. You got to watch
1: on Saturday instead.
0: (laughs) Food Bank Friday. It's happening right now. And you still have a chance to donate and help all of us here in the greater Vancouver area have a well fed holiday. Season It's open until 6 p.m. You can head to sportsnet.ca slash 650, head to the features page and be able to donate online there to the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. And also you can donate via text 30333. A carrot emoji donates five dollars. A banana donates ten dollars and a heart donates twenty five dollars. Standard text message charges do apply. It is Canuck Central. It's Canuck Central in the Kintex studio. Hour number two is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned B.C. company helping local business since 1892. Continuing to push for the Greater Vancouver Food Bank, up to $78,724 as of 5 o'clock. Looking to get some more of those donations in. If you are able, please consider the Greater Vancouver Food Bank by texting a carrot emoji to donate $5 to 3033. A banana will donate $10, and a heart will donate $25. You can also head to sportsnet.ca/slash 650 and go to the features section. You'll be able to find a donate link there through our station website as well and know that the greater vancouver food bank can use your donation to distribute healthy nutritious food to people in need the greater vancouver food bank has a buying power of two to one which allows your donations to go twice as far so please consider if you are able as we continue to push for everyone to have a more well-fed christmas season dan riccio and satyar shaw had a busy first hour. Already talked to uh, Bruce Boudreaux off the top of the show, Sat. And uh, he uh, wasn't having some of our questions, as we know, as we giggled about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Giggles, yes, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> um,
0: which is fair. Uh, fair questions, also a fair answer from mm-hmm. Bruce. So uh, you can go back and listen to that on the podcast page. You get all of our exclusive interviews, post game shows, and inside info via the Canucks Central podcast. So please consider subscribing and leaving a five star review. We do appreciate it. But there was also a lot about the team and and where it is and where it's heading and you know sort of results versus process stuff and and Bruce feels they are trending in a good direction. And he's always the ever positive guy, so I'm not too surprised about that, but he does feel that some of the the changes they've been looking to implement are maybe starting to stick a little bit more than they were earlier this season.
1: It it does, I mean, at least that's some of the things that they that he is talking about and and it is it is somewhat true to some degree. The question is or is it enough to make you into a good hockey team all of a sudden and make it more sustainable? And you are getting results, but how do you also normalize your game a little bit through all this? And I think Bruce said all the right things about what he expects, and he wasn't really going to get into any any real negatives because, hey – what they've won nine of their last 13, they won four of their last five games. And even if it's not perfect, the coach is always going to take a positive view when you're kind of normalizing your record after you started off 05 and 2.
0: So you can go back and listen to uh, Bruce Boudreau from earlier on the podcast. Now, a lot of reporting this week from uh, even the uh, national insiders mm-hmm. around Bo Horvat sat, and uh, some some thoughts coming from Darren Dreger and even Pierre Lebrun on, on what exactly the Canucks are looking for should they go down the road of trading their captain, Bo Horvat, and Pierre Lebrun specifically was a little bit surprised when finding out that it may not be just a strictly futures deal. Uh, apparently, Pierre Lebrun does not listen to Canuck Central very often. Uh, this is something... <sighs> We've talked about going back to what the Canucks might be looking for in a J.T. Miller trade around January, February of last year, Sat. Um, Yes, the Canucks are not just looking for a first-round pick if they do go about trading their captain, Bo Horvat.
1: Yeah, and so... You know, it was interesting seeing all the reaction, and we'll have some more during the mailbag, and we'll have some fun with it. But the reaction about, oh, are the Canucks going after the next Linden, Vase, Van Beerci types again instead of going after, you know, the types of young prospects and picks that you need to take that next step? And one of the things I've been mentioning now for a good, like, nine months, it seems, what the Canucks want back in return is is a blue-chip young prospect slash player. They want somebody that they can plug in pretty quickly that they think can be a core individual for them. And, And I don't think it should be a surprise. I mean, last year, what did we talk so much about? Braden Schneider. The Canucks really wanted Braden Schneider. That's the type of player they really wanted. I mean, you're talking about a guy in his early 20s, talking about a guy who's playing in the NHL right now, a guy who, given a different situation, might be a top four defenseman already and play a lot, a lot of those minutes and have success. So he's on the cusp. I think that's what they're looking for. The other player that I've mentioned a lot, and we'll see if Colorado even wants to move him, is a Bowen Byram type, right? You're talking about a guy 21, 22 years old who's cheap still and just on the verge of becoming a cornerstone player for a team potentially. That's the type of piece they want to return. Like I don't think it's you know, they want to go and get the Linden Vay's or the Sven Beer cheese guys who have kind of toiled a little bit for a couple of years and they need a chance somewhere but you're not quite ready you're not quite sure what they are. Those guys are the equivalent of second round picks, third round picks, fourth round picks. That's the equivalent value for those types of players. The types of players that I think the Canucks are after It's the Braden Schneider type, like we talked about. Bowen Byram type, as we discussed. And last year, look at the trade the Vegas Golden Knights made. The pick mattered, but what they really wanted was Peyton Krebs. They thought Peyton Krebs was going to be a bona fide number one line player for them, and that's the type of player they want back in return. Alex Tuck mattered too, and right now Tuck's the best piece out of that trade. But Krebs was the apple in Buffalo's eye. Krebs was the player that the... Vegas Golden Knights didn't want to give up in a trade and it finally relented and made that deal happen. He was a blue chip piece in that trade. That's what the Canucks are after and usually that blue chip piece it's probably somebody who's 21 or 22, right? Because he's on the cusp of being close. And and again, I think the distinction between a blue chipper who you believe is going to be a star versus a guy we're taking a flyer on, maybe paying a second-round pick for, is a big difference in distinction and value. So I would keep that in mind when you hear these things about what the Canucks are after, because I don't think it's changed. I've been saying this for months. They're after a big-time young piece, whether it's a center or a defenseman. Uh,
0: as as uh, Drager put it... Um... An NHL centerman and an NHL right shot defenseman. Um, it would still be a young player with a lot of potential. I would imagine those are things that Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford are still looking for. Uh, and the one that you know people really started to run away with was from Pierre LeBron, And that's, I assume the Canucks would be asking for a futures only package. But so far it seems that Vancouver is looking instead for more of a hockey Deal and and so I I get you know the um, maybe PTSD some fans have with the previous front office and how they went about rebuilding on the fly, but know this that they want a premium piece. You know if they're trading Bo Horvat when they go about this, they're going to be looking for a premium piece. It usually ends up being. Sat. How often are rental trade packages? all that different when it gets down to it and close to the actual deadline. They're not
1: too dissimilar.
0: They're not too dissimilar. They don't often change all that much, right? If yeah. you've got a big time rental piece, get what, get what, guess what you're probably getting a decent, a, a really good prospect and a first round pick. Um, maybe if you've got a really premium rental in there, you might even get a roster player on top of those two other, Pieces in the deal. That's generally how this situation works out. And for those that are always clamoring for the first round pick, you know, if if Bo Horvat's going to the Colorado Avalanche, what does that first round pick look like, right? Well,
1: then that, 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 exactly. I mean, what the first round pick can't be the best part of the trade that you no, make. No, it team. can't. You know, because especially the teams that are trading a first-round pick are teams that are going to be playoff teams, and it's not going to be Columbus. And yeah. if Columbus is, isn't giving you an unprotected top-five pick in return. You know, and those things are just not happening for those teams that are so far out of it. They're not going to be in the position to make that type of a trade. So the first-round pick that we're talking about here is a, is a most likely a pick in this 20s. The best you can hope for is maybe you catch a team. Hey, l- let's just use a team for the sake of argument, right? let's say the New York Islanders, that the Islanders are a playoff team this year, but they're giving you next year's pick unprotected. Then you're looking at it and saying, hey, this is a team you look at and say, they're probably going to really suck in a year or two. If we get their first round pick then, then, okay, maybe we're talking. We're talking about potential top 10 pick or maybe even something better. But then you got to wait for that for a couple of years, and then you're not quite sure what that's going to be to begin with. So for you to get the type of first round pick or top five pick, that's not happening in a bohorvat trade. So how are you making up the difference? And I don't think the Canucks want just volume. Like, I don't think they're looking at it and saying, okay, well, we're not going to get the top five pick, but we'll take a first, we'll take a second and two-thirds instead. And yeah, sure, I can get behind the idea of those are a lot of draft picks, and it's good to have a lot of draft picks, but they are more flyers. You get second-round picks, you're fine, but how are you finding the difference maker? And if you're not getting a top five pick... You got to get a difference-making p- prospect back in return, you know, because that second-round pick and that third-round pick and that late first-round pick, those picks are likely not finding you to difference-makers. Everybody wants this team to see acquire, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you have to keep that in mind. There's logic in this. I don't think it's just about 24-year-old players, 25-year-old players or anything along those lines. I think it's like you saw with Vegas. Alex Tuck's the best piece in that trade, but he's a winger. What what Buffalo wanted was a center, and they thought Peyton Krebs, or they still think Peyton Krebs, one day can be a top two centerman for them. And that's why they felt they can trade Jack Eichel, because they feel like they have a guy that can become that for them one day. That's the type of player I think the Canucks are really after here. So I wouldn't get too caught up in that, and I get it. It makes sense. I think in an ideal world, the Canucks get that prospect in a first-round pick. You know, like I think, yeah. I think that's the ideal type of trade. If they would have got Braden Schneider in a first, I think they would have done cartwheels last year.
0: Yeah, you know, if if it was indeed Lungfist that was on the table from from the New York Rangers, as we had believed around uh, January, February of last year, um, it, the Canucks wanted it to be Braden Schneider, and maybe that would have gotten a deal done. But you know, it's not like they were looking for a 24 year old. You know, they're not trading Bo Horvat to Columbus for Jack Roslovic and Andrew Peek, okay? That's not what they're doing here. They want to get a premium young player and doesn't necessarily mean it's a 24 year old who has limited potential but plays the right side of defense. So, yeah, let's we're just going to plug and play that guy. No, I mean, people are just taking this way out of context from what uh, those two insiders reported today.
1: One thing I would say, though, is I totally understand the. Um, I'd say it's a scarring from the previous regime, and this is yep. this is where I can understand. I mean, it's it, it's it's you get. Triggered by it, almost, you know, because you remember all the talk about a retool on the fly. You remember all the talk about what Benning and those guys mentioned—the type of players they went after. They said the same things about, "Hey, we're going after guys in their in their early 20s. We got to fill that gap. Guys who can play for us today and help us along, and and all those sort of things." And people in this organ, people in this fan base, the fans—they saw the Canucks trade a second-round pick for Linden Vay. They saw the second-round pick for Sven Beerci. They saw Shinkarek for for Mar- Marcus Granlin, Which I would say when you look at where Shankarik ended up. what Grandland was. It actually ended up, you know, you got the better players, so to speak, but it wasn't a high-level asset or anything. But they made a bunch of those types of trades and moves, even going and getting Pouliot, and none of those guys worked out. And you looked at it and you said to yourself, would you have been better off using all those draft picks to go and just draft yeah. or maybe use them uh, and wait a couple years to see what happens? And maybe you find a player instead of coming away with nothing with all those moves. And I think that's where people are afraid. But the other thing you have to you look at is, some of those moves were fine. Like the idea of making that, those types of moves every once in a while is okay. There's logic behind it. But you know what? You got to win your trades. Yep. And those types of trades, the previous front office with Jim Benning, he didn't win enough of those trades long-term. Maybe in the short term he did, but long-term none of them were home runs. And that's ultimately what failed. If we look at the track record of the moves so far, it's been, wholly, it's been on the whole more positive than negative in terms of what they've done with their decisions and, and players they've signed and acquired. They've done a good job in identifying players. The question is, can you identify the right prospects in these trades? And if you do, then it doesn't matter. No one's going to cry about this in two years.
0: Yeah, the the, the trades they've made, right? I mean, Dermot for a third, uh, you know, that that probably plays a factor into how people are, you know, reading these uh, bits of information that they got today. You know Travis Dermott for a third. You know that's a early twenties defenseman mm-hmm. uh, who's you know a, a, at best a second pair guy. If you know he hits his and that would be huge. Yeah. I mean, if if
1: he's a second pair guy, that means he's a top four defenseman. You got him for a third. I mean, th- that's a, steal
0: that's a huge of a trade. Uh, but a guy if that, he is that yeah. w- we've seen be able to play in a third pair role at at worst, right? Um, Jack Stadnika. There's there's some upside there. Some some AHL scoring. Gave up a player who wanted out in Michael Di Pietro and an interesting right shot defenseman that's way down the line in terms of prospect status in Jonathan Myrenberg. Then there is, of course, Ethan Bear, and That looks like a win uh, for a fifth round pick. And also Lane Peterson has just been called up. So he's been great for Abbotsford this year. Maybe you got more in that trade, at least depth wise. Another player you can use as a tweener between the AHL and NHL in Lane Peterson. He is on the Canucks big club roster now was a part of that trade with Carolina as well. So, you know, i I can't really fault some of the trades that they've made, even if they are, you know, similar to some of those ones that the previous regime made. I just don't think we can judge the idea of what that Horvat trade might be until we actually see it uh go down and the type of prospect that they really value. And they clearly, you know, they, they do have a real idea of what they want and they weren't just comfortable with taking the best available offer for JT Miller or else JT Miller wouldn't be a Vancouver Canuck anymore so uh, I think they have a very clear idea on the type of player they do want and what they are going after should they go down the the road of trading Bo Horvat now one thing that You've sort of mentioned before that I wanted to, to kind of bring up in this conversation again, Sat. Uh, when it comes to hockey deal, what would... is Do you see a Bo Horvat for Matt Dumba type of deal being something that the Canucks would be interested in? I mean, I think
1: what i think they'd be more interested in is a, a devon taves type of swap right you know like i think if 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 colorado came out and said hey we'll do one for one devon taves for uh bo Horvat, taves has one more year on his contract i think they might consider that and be like okay we can maybe extend this player as well he's another good cheap year, and he comes in he's going to be a big time player for us he's, he's a top pairing defenseman it would have to be something like that. I don't know if they view Dumba the same way. I know we talked about it before and said, hey, it, could that be something? And I think, hey, just as an idea, I think it's something that could be thought of. I think th- what they want is, like I said, like they really want the player they're getting to be a top Of the line type of prospect or value player. And I think if you're looking at a defenseman that's that, it would be more of a Devon Taves type.
0: Uh, The reason I asked, Dumba is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Minnesota's loaded on the right side. Uh, They've got, you know, Cam Atkin, or sorry, Kalen Addison, uh, who's been playing a lot of games for them this year, has looked like a pretty good, at least, offensive piece, and they also uh, acquired Brock Faber, as we know, uh, in the uh, trade with the LA Kings over the summer for Kevin Fiala. And you know, a team that's uh, really tough on cap space as well. So just uh, a, an interesting thought and I, I too don't think that that is the road mm-hmm. uh, the Canucks should go on uh, and don't think it is the one they would go on either. Part of the issue here is uh, it, people often get into this uh, well what is the plan? Is it the no plan plan here from Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine? What are they? What are they actually doing? And Sometimes I I kind of chuckle like do they do people want like a full PowerPoint presentation from the team on what exactly the plan is on how they are going to execute bringing a Stanley Cup contender to Vancouver but I also understand that that maybe it's been hard to see exactly what the plan is from the new front office and and that plays a part into why there is some um, some level of wonder as to what they are exactly. Prioritizing, should they go down the trade of going down the road of trading Bo Horvat?
1: Well, as far as if you look at actions, uh, actions announce your direction. If you want to go by that type of you know idea, what have their actions been? Their actions have been to double down on the players previous management team acquired, or not in Bo Horvat's case, but they did sign him to an extension. But so they doubled down on him. What they've done is show that they're backing the roster, backing most of those decisions. And they've also added players to make this team even better, which is another sign of backing this organization, backing these guys, backing the decisions that were made by the previous regime. That's what the actions tell you. Until you see actions that take away from that, it's going to be hard for a lot of people to buy it, because so far, and it's true, I mean, I can sit here and talk about, hey, this is what we heard, this is what I believe is going on, but they're, they're pointing to scoreboard, and scoreboard so far says, you just kept more players than you got rid of, in terms of core, important players for this team. So until that, that ledger looks different, I think it's going to be hard to convince a lot of people, and I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. We can sit here and, you know, until we're blue in the face, talk about they want to do more, they're looking to do more, they're looking for other ways to get rid of players and, and change this roster, but they haven't been successful in doing so quite yet. And, you know, I, I see a lot of people, you know, bringing up the idea and I see Brian from Burke mountain and saying, Hey, getting the cap space and getting the assets is more philosophically about go out and get the next Devon tapes. That's what Brian says. And I get that entire point and I'm all for asset accumulation, but I think what they're looking also at here and saying, if we're looking at just banking draft picks and, and stuff like that, that's going to be the type of move you do in a rebuild. And you have five to six years to build this out. And you're thinking about moves in two or three years, to just get to a point where you have a critical mass to start doing things. Those things make a lot of sense and work in for them in that sense, I believe. But if you're looking at trying to find, use the one piece you have, Bo Horvat, use J.T. Miller, and do the best you can to get the best value player back in return, your best bet in finding next Taves isn't to have an extra second-round pick and make the same type of rabbit-out-of-a-hat trade the Colorado Avalanche did, your best bet is finding a young prospect, young player who has pedigree that you think is going to be that and get that player back in return. That's your best way of getting so. I'm all for it philosophically doing those things, and it makes a lot of sense, but logically in implementation and executing it, you're more likely finding that player that way than you are trying to find the next Tapes trade with an extra second-round pick in tow.
0: It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Up next, it's the mailbag on Canuck Central.